So today is Palm Sunday, and that's the day we remember uh, Jesus receiving an, an incredible enthusiastic welcome when he went into Jerusalem. That enthusiasm did not last long. By the end of the week, he was arrested and put on trial and ultimately executed on a cross, which, as it turns out, is the, the main reason he came, but no one really understood that at the time. But next week, we get to uh, join together in celebrating his victory over death, uh, his resurrection. Next week is Easter Sunday. I can hardly believe it. Um, but we are, we are spending these weeks leading up to Easter um, focusing on uh, one of the most popular verses in all of the Bible, John 3.16. Um, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're probably very familiar with this verse. Uh, you may even have it memorized. If you don't, I would encourage you to do that, to memorize it, because it's such a compact, concise, simple presentation of our message, the gospel, the good news. Um, if you're here today and you are not yet a Christian, a believer in Jesus, you've still probably heard this verse, and if you haven't heard it, you've probably seen it. Uh, at least the reference, the John 3.16, on a sign or a t-shirt or something. It is short, it is simple, but it is uh, amazingly profound in the truth that it conveys. I mean, just one sentence, one sentence tells us some of the most important things that we could ever know. In fact, the most important thing we could ever know. It's just, it's amazing. Uh, one of my heroes, John Piper, has a series of four messages on this verse, uh, to which I am deeply indebted. Uh, you will know that if you go and listen to them. Um, but as he was unpacking uh, the riches of John 3.16, I just found myself amazed and delighted uh, by those uh, truths contained here. And it is a privilege to share some of those insights with you. So let's begin, as we have the last several times, um, by reading the verse aloud together. It's on the note sheet that's in your folder, and it'll be on the screen. And this is from the English Standard Version translation. Uh, let's say it together. You ready? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So four messages focusing on four key words in this verse. The four key words are perish, loved, believes, and life. And in message one, we looked at the word perish, which refers to the desperate situation we're all in, apart from Jesus, um, because God is perfectly just, absolutely just. And because he's absolutely just, he cannot be true to himself and allow evil to go unjudged. Justice may be delayed, but it is never ignored with God. And the problem, of course, is that we have all done evil, and we have all spurned our good creator. And so 
His justice demands that we be judged, that He separate Himself from us forever. And that is the bad news, and it's as bad as it can get. Really, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is for you to remain in this desperate situation without God intervening to rescue you from it, to rescue uh, any of us from it. But the good news, the good news is God has done just that. He has acted. He has acted. He has intervened. And that's the good news we began to explore in message two. That God has acted. He has intervened to provide a rescue for us from our desperate situation. Jesus, God's one-of-a-kind eternal son, Jesus came into this world because of God's great love for the world, and what he did is, is astounding. Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.2, for our sake, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's just stunning. Jesus came, Jesus died in our place to satisfy the justice of God so that we could escape our desperate situation and not perish. John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So now we want to begin to consider what has to happen for us to experience this this intervention, this rescue. God has intervened in this astounding act of love. Now, we need to think about our response to that. And this response is summed up in the word believes. Believes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Believes. Now this is a word that's going to need some unpacking. Because uh, the question is, what does it mean to believe in the son the way this verse means it? See, we use believe in different ways, and there's different levels of belief, and this is a word prone to misunderstanding, and if there's anything we don't want to misunderstand, it's what it means to believe in the Son so that we don't perish and have eternal life. So it's worth taking the time to think this one through carefully, and I want to begin with this. Let's make sure we see that whatever Believing in the Son means, whatever it means, according to this verse, it's absolutely necessary. It's absolutely necessary that we believe. Believing in Him is the essential condition for not perishing, but having eternal life. Okay? So so this is not optional. This is not... You know, hey, if believing in Jesus works for you, fine. If not, you know, that's okay. No, this is not like that. 
It's either you believe in God's only Son and you have eternal life, or you don't believe in Him and you perish. And this really bugs people. This really bugs people because it sounds so exclusive. It sounds so intolerant of other beliefs. And the reason it bugs us is because we tend to put spiritual truths in a different category than we put other truths. You know, we we tend to make beliefs about spiritual things like God, who He is, what He's like, what He's done, uh, you know, what life is really all about, purpose, meaning, all these things. We tend to put spiritual truths, spiritual beliefs, we make those a matter of personal preference instead of a matter of what's real. So, we people think that, hey, whatever you want to think about that, that's fine. Doesn't matter. Okay, but we don't think that way about other things. If, for example, you were to go and get on Interstate 5, headed south toward Portland and beyond, and you got on the southbound lanes, if somebody had a different belief about which the southbound lanes and which the northbound lanes are, you would not be okay with that. You know, you would not be okay with someone having a mistaken belief thinking that they can drive in the same lane you're in and head north while you're heading south. That belief is going to get somebody killed. Some beliefs are simply not a matter of personal preference. They're a matter of life and death. They're a matter of what is actually real. And believing what's real is necessary. Okay, well, John 3.16 says that believing in Jesus is necessary because God is real and His justice is real and perishing is real and God's love is real and Jesus is real and eternal life is real and the one and only way to escape perishing and have eternal life is to believe in the one and only real Jesus. That's the reason John wrote this whole book. The book of John, the Gospel of John. He says at the end of it, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs In the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believing in Jesus is necessary, he says. So, what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus in the way John 3.16 is talking about it. Well, I'm going to give you three characteristics of this kind of believing. The first one, is it means believing in the Son means affirming His identity. Believing in who He is. Affirming His identity. Okay, the verse says, God gave 
his only son. That's a statement about who he is. It's a statement about his identity. And it says, whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. So at the most basic level here, believing in Jesus means affirming his identity, who he is. Or let's put it another way. At a very practical level, believing in him means accepting what the eyewitnesses say about him, about who he is, about what he did. You know, people like John and Peter and Matthew and many others, they claim to have first-hand knowledge of Jesus. And they wrote down what they saw. They wrote down what they heard, what they experienced. Why? So we could have the facts about him. So we could know who he is. Peter said it like this, 2 Peter 1.16. He said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we didn't make it up. We didn't sit around and come up with a story. You know, there are many who would say that that's what happened, but he, Peter said that's not what we did. We weren't following a myth. We weren't devising a myth when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We told, we're telling you what we saw. We're telling you what we heard. We're telling you what we experienced. This is who he is. You say, well, does it really matter if you get his identity right? Yeah, sure it does. Of course it does. Because believing in Jesus means believing in a person. And you've got to have the right person. Doesn't mean you have to be correct in every detail. But you've got to be close enough in order to be dealing with the real Jesus. Not some imaginary Jesus of human invention. And there are plenty of those. Believing in Jesus means believing in the Jesus of John 3.16. Well, who is he? Well, read the rest of the book and discover for yourself. Read what John says. Read the other eyewitness accounts. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read what the apostles Peter and Paul have to say about him. Discover who the real Jesus really is. And if you say, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Remember what's at stake. Perishing or eternal life. I, I fear that there are people attending churches in America who know more about their favorite celebrities than they do about who Jesus is. I'm confident. Do you realize how little it's going to matter a hundred years from now if you know who Taylor Swift is? Now, I'm not picking on her. I don't really know anything about her, honestly. And if she's one of your faves, I'm fine with that. But in a hundred years, it's not going to matter if you know Taylor Swift. But it is going to matter greatly if you know who Jesus is. Now, 
It means affirming his identity, who he is. Now, there are many, many people who believe in Jesus at this level, and that's good. I hope you're one of them, okay? People who know who he is, they would say, yes, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the one-of-a-kind Son of God, fully God, fully man, who came into this world to be our rescuer, to die on a cross, to rise from the dead so we could be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe that. That is good. That is vital. But it's not enough. It's not enough. Having an accurate belief about who Jesus is is not the kind of believing that connects us to him and enables us to experience eternal life. You say, why do you say that? Well, because the Bible says that. Over and over again, it says that in different ways. One of the ways it tells us is that even demons have that kind of belief in Jesus. They've got his identity. They've got it nailed. They know who he is. You see it in in places like Mark 124. Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man. And the demon screams out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He knew who he was. In fact, he could probably pass a theology exam better than any of us. He knows. He knew who Jesus was, but he didn't have eternal life. So when John 3.16 says, whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life, it means more than just an accurate belief in His identity. So, second, believing in the Son of God, believing in Jesus means relying on Him to rescue you. Relying on Him to rescue you. Relying on Him instead of relying on something else. Relying on Him instead of relying on yourself or relying on your own goodness or how often you go to church or how many verses you memorize or how often you take communion or other religious rituals, or how well you keep the rules, or how well you, you know, whatever you might try to rely on for you to be okay with God, for you to gain God's approval. Relying on Jesus instead of relying on yourself or something else. So this is believing in the sense of trusting. Believing in the sense of trusting. It's like when... I was playing with one of my sons in the swimming pool down in Southern California where it's sunny and warm and such. (laughs) And I was playing with one of my sons in the swimming pool. And I'm down in the pool, and he's standing on the edge looking at me. And I hold out my arms to him, and I say, jump, and I will catch you. Now, if he believed in me, what would he do? He would jump. He would jump. 
See, it's jump in the sense of trust. This is, this is not believing. See, this wasn't a matter of believing in my identity. He knew who I was. It's like, oh, you're my dad, whatever. I mean, he's got my identity down. And it wasn't even believing in the sense of believing in my ability that I could catch him because he knew I could. This was believing in the sense of trusting my promise. I promised. I said, if you jump, I will catch you. Jesus has made us a promise. I will rescue you from perishing. I will give you eternal life. If you trust me, jump and I will catch you. Rely on me, I will hold you up. Jesus said this in many ways, many different ways he said this. He said it like this in John 6.35. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See what he's saying? He's saying that believing in him means coming to him, coming to him the way, coming to him to satisfy your spiritual hunger the way you come to bread to satisfy your physical hunger. Coming to Him to satisfy your spiritual thirst the way you come to water to satisfy your physical thirst. Come and rely. Come and trust. Come and partake. Come and receive. It's believing His promise and taking Him at His word. Have you believed in Jesus like that? Have you realized the utter hopelessness of relying on anything else, especially yourself, to gain God's approval? See, Jesus came to gain God's approval for you. And He offers it to you and to me if we will trust Him and take it and receive it. Affirming His identity relying on Him to rescue you. And one more characteristic we need to think about. Believing in Jesus means continuing to trust Him for your ultimate good. Continuing to trust Him for your ultimate good. I, uh, I get concerned when I hear people talk about believing in Jesus as something they did once upon a time, back in the day, and not, a, not as if it's something that they're doing right now. And so they talk about, you know, praying a certain prayer, or going forward at a crusade or something. And they talk about it as if believing in Jesus was this this one-time event in the past. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be very clear about this. 
believing in Jesus starts as an event. It starts as an event. It starts when you do what Jesus said in John 6.35, and you come to him. That's a picture of faith. You come and you put your trust in him. You rely on him to satisfy. You ask him to satisfy your spiritual hunger. You ask him to forgive your sin, to give you eternal life. In John 1.12, yet to all who received him. Receiving him is an event. It's an act. To all who received him, to those who believed, put their trust in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So believing in him has a beginning. Even if you can't remember when it happened. You know, because maybe you were a a young child or something. You know, the, the point is that if today you have genuine faith in Jesus, there was a moment when that faith began. There was a beginning. Genuine faith, genuine believing in Jesus has a beginning. But it doesn't have an end. Not if it's real. Not if it's real. Believing in Him keeps on going as you learn more and more to trust Him. And to trust Him not just for the forgiveness of sin, but for the fighting of sin every day. And trusting Him to provide everything that you need. Your daily bread, the wisdom you need, the direction for your life, comfort, uh, healing, courage, purpose, meaning. You learn to rely on Him, to trust Him. And, And we can see that here in a couple of ways. We see it in the tense of the verb, believes. It's in the present tense, which means it's an ongoing, whoever believes in an ongoing, continuing way. And it's also implied in the words eternal life. I mean, if the life Jesus gives is eternal, the least you could say about it is it's ongoing. It keeps going. It's it's, uh, an ongoing thing. Because really, what believes is talking about here in John 3.16, believing in this sense, this is really talking about an ongoing relationship of trust. That's what he's talking about. An ongoing relationship of trust with the God who made you. See, that's what sin separates us from. That's what sin broke. Sin broke that relationship of trust with God. And that's what Jesus came to restore us to. A relationship, a life-giving relationship of trust. Look at the, the thing Jesus prayed for in John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. He's talking about the hour, uh, his going to the cross. The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life. Look at this. Jesus is about to define eternal life. What does he say? And this is eternal life, that they know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Look at that. Notice it doesn't say knowing about him. You know, that, that's the first thing we talked about, knowing his identity. That's more than that. 
that they may know you, knowing God relationally. Knowing Him today, knowing Him tomorrow, knowing Him forever. Do you believe in Jesus like that? It doesn't mean you, you, you don't ever struggle with believing. If you never ever struggle with believing, make sure feel your pulse, make sure you're still breathing. And it doesn't mean you never have any doubts. But it does mean that when you struggle and when you doubt, you turn to Him. And you pray and you plead and you, you, you read His promises. And you share your struggles with His people. And you, you make a choice. You make a choice to believe that doing things His way is always in your best interest. Because He died to give you joy. It's, it's just amazing how foolish we can be. Really. It, it, it's just kind of, if you stop and think about it. You know, Jesus, His Word says do it this way, and we think, oh, I don't know. I think I'd be happier doing it this way. It's like, Really? Jesus died to give you joy, and you think you know better than he does about how to make you happy? That's insane. That's what we do every time we sin. He died to give us joy. His way is always in your best interest. Always. And so, it's growing, it's learning to know him and trust him, and it's an ongoing thing. Believing in Jesus means affirming His identity, it means relying on Him to rescue you, and it means continuing to trust Him for your ultimate joy. That's what it means. Now, I want to address a question that some of you may well be thinking, or you may have a friend who will ask this question, and and this is it. This verse tells us that we must believe in Jesus. But maybe you would say, well, what if I can't? You're telling me I have to believe, but what if I can't? How am I supposed to make myself believe if I don't? Isn't that intellectually dishonest to make myself believe something I don't really believe? That is a great question. Here's how I would answer it. The first thing you need to do is be ruthlessly honest with yourself about what the problem really is. Is the problem really an intellectual one? In other words, do you just simply lack sufficient evidence to justify putting your trust in Jesus? See, I I just don't have enough information. I just don't have the facts. See, if that's the issue, then I have a recommendation for you, and I make it as strongly as I can. Take the time to review the evidence. Okay? Read the accounts of the eyewitnesses. And if you doubt their credibility or you doubt the reliability of the documents, 
Then I have a couple books to suggest that are on your note sheet. The Case for the Real Jesus by Lee Strobel. The Reason for God by Tim Keller. There are many others. If you want more, I can point you to more. The point is, make sure your hesitation, your reluctance is legitimate. You know, in a court of law, the standard of proof for matters of life and death is beyond a reasonable doubt. If you think your doubt is reasonable, I think John 3.16 would say to you, you better make sure. You better make sure you can't afford to be wrong about this. And understand that some of the smartest, most intellectually rigorous people that have ever walked this planet have asked the hard questions, have looked at the evidence, and have come out on the side of faith in Jesus. So it will not do to simply say, well, nobody smart believes in Jesus. Nobody who understands the the issues really believes in Jesus. That is just not true. And if you think, well, this all sounds like a lot of work, I would just say, if you're not willing to do the homework, if you're not willing to examine the claims and investigate the evidence and see if they're credible, I must respectfully ask you if the problem really is an intellectual one after all. Is it possible that the problem is actually one of desire? Maybe you don't want to believe in Jesus because you don't want to believe in Jesus. Maybe you realize it would change your life and you don't want to change. You like being in charge of you. You like deciding for yourself what's right and what isn't. You like being in charge. And so, or, you know, maybe you're doing some stuff that you're pretty sure Jesus would not approve of and you're not ready to give it up yet. If that's the case, if that's the problem, then I just encourage you to be honest about it. And I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you to listen one more time. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. The same guy wrote this in 1 John 5.12, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. But maybe today, maybe you're ready to believe. Maybe you're ready to trust Maybe you're ready to jump. And I'm just here to say, go for it. Just go for it. Jump. He will catch you. Will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. And if today you would say, yeah, I, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. I need to. I need to jump.
I'm afraid, I'm nervous, but I need to jump. And just jump. Just tell him. Just tell him. He knows your heart. I'm not even going to give you some specific words to pray because really the specific words aren't so much the issue. You just say, Jesus, I, I need you. I want to put my trust in you. I'm asking you as best I know how. Rescue me from perishing and give me eternal life. I want to know you. I want to have eternal life. And you just ask him to. You jump, he'll catch you. So I'm just going to be quiet. And uh, if, if today you just, you know, you've considered yourself a believer in Jesus, and if some of the things that you've heard this morning are just causing you to question that, just go to him and talk to him about it. Lord, help me believe you the way you want me to believe you. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful you are big enough and strong enough and have done everything necessary so that we could jump and you would catch us. Lord, you are, you are stronger to save than any daddy is to catch his little child jumping into his arms. You are stronger. You have paid the price. Lord, enable us to trust you with everything. Be glorified, Lord, as we, as we walk through this week, as we remember the price you paid, the death you died, as we think about and anticipate celebrating your resurrection, Lord, help us do so with joy, with gratitude, with trust. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.